The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. Of course, you could subscribe to it for free. Uh, Lou DiPietro is with me. Of course, you know me. I'm Chris Sheeran. And Devin Carpertian, our buddy from the Brooklyn Game Dot com, who covers the Nets so astutely, uh, joins us on the program. Now, Devin, there's plenty to talk about with the Brooklyn Nets, and we appreciate you hopping on board with us. And before we continue, I, sh- I guess I should announce that Lou and I are going to start doing these twice a week. So it's double the Lou. Ooh, that's a lot of me. Double the Chris. <laughs> and maybe double the Devin. Double your pleasure on the Chris Sheeran Show And you podcast. can find Devin on Twitter at double U, as in U-U-O-R-D-S, yes. by the way. Yes. Since you give the Twitter Glad to be your inspiration. Yes. There you go. So, Devin, let's start with Joe Johnson saying it's not that bad here. Uh, it is that bad here. Let's be honest. That's why Lionel Hollins is out. That's why Billy King is being, air quote, Farley style, reassigned. Um, yeah. You know, it had to happen now. I, with with the cap space they have coming up this summer, uh, I really believe um, they needed to show potential free agents that, hey, that's it. We're serious now. we got to get this going. Do you agree with that line of thinking there? Uh, I, yes and no. And, and here's why. Uh, yes in the sense that with Lionel Hollins, if you feel like he's not the right coach for your team, and, and it kind of seemed like that was pretty clear in the last couple months, if you feel like he's not the right coach, you make the change as soon as possible, and that gives you the time to look for the next few months at different potential candidates. The, the problem with firing, or I should say reassigning Billy King to whatever musty room Lawrence Frank was hiding in after Jason Kidd demoted him, the problem with that is that even if you're not you know, all in on Billy King as a general manager, and there's various reasons for that, you still have an organizational structure leading up to the trade deadline that is very confusing. And you, you, you might already be hampered into the possibility of not being able to make any moves just because your team is not very good, you don't have the assets, uh, you don't want to hinder your cap space going forward. But now, I mean, look, they're running things through Frank Zanin, who's the assistant general manager, and he's still titled the assistant general manager. He's not assisting anyone. He's just called the assistant <laughs> general manager. So, so I don't know what you do in that case. Like, I mean, if somebody makes a phone call to say, hey, we want to make a trade, and it goes to Frank, is Frank going to be able to take that to the front office? Does he have autonomy? Like, how does that work? And so now you've got the situation where even if you want to make moves to the deadline, say you want to trade Joe Johnson or you want to, you know, find draft picks for Thaddeus Young or Brooke Lopez, you know, now you're, there's another level of confusion in your own organization. So if it was me and you want to make this move as Mikhail Prokhorov, I probably would have waited until after the trade deadline just so things were clear and straightforward and then you can move forward. Um, but I, I agree in the sense that it needed to get done. It's, it's a sound line of thinking there, waiting until the, the day where really you can't do much of anything else in terms of roster movement for the Nets. But regardless of whether Frank Zanin gets promoted from assistant to the regional manager to assistant regional manager and becomes <laughs> Dwight Schrute, pro- props to you. I was going to give you props, by the way, for the, for the Lawrence Frank musty, uh, musty room with the broken typewriter uh, line from your, your piece this, this weekend. But, but regardless of, of what that happens, you know, I, I would say that a lot, of, uh, a lot of work did not get done here yesterday after the press conference amongst our newsroom because we were discussing this very point. There are a few assets the Nets have that could be very attractive to certain people for certain amounts of time in certain packages. The problem is Joe Johnson's salary, even at one-third of the season, is still a lot more of an expiring contract than a lot of teams that may necessarily need him would be willing to give up, no? Right. 
and, and that's kind of the thing is like if you think that the Nets can't make any moves, significant moves, the trade deadline, then that justifies this a little bit more. But you don't know who's going to come calling desperately on February 18th at 2.59 p.m. saying we need to make a move for somebody, and Joe Johnson has shot 44% in the last five games. So that's kind of like the situation where they, 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 their contingency plan is very confusing. Now, again, I don't know. Maybe Frank Zanin has more autonomy than I realized. Maybe Prokhorov is willing to... Um, green light some moves without a real strong organizational structure, but it's just another level of confusion, and, and you're not really sure like what it's going to mean in the next six weeks, and then when you head to the off season, you know what if they, you know what if they can't figure out a, a proper deal for a general manager, you know, in time for the draft workouts, and then you know you have to. There's another level of confusion, like who makes those decisions? Like this is like I, I, I get the sense that like you should get it done, but. It, it, when you're doing it now for the draft, or at least I'm sorry for the for, uh, for the trade deadline, um, when this is the most important part of the year for a lot of general managers until the draft, until the offseason, it's just a little rough to get stuff done. And Tony Brown is in a position, Devin. Uh, you know, he's in the same position that Lionel Hollins was in. Uh, Mike Fratello was very candid on the post game show last night and the pregame show as well. This roster is just lacking pretty much everywhere. They have, let's face it, they have no backcourt. They have guys that, you know, everybody says the next man up. The next man up on other teams might even be in the D League uh, right now. And, and they're either on the bench or they're in the starting lineup uh, at times for this team. So it's, it's really a position to be in that you don't, you don't want it. You don't want to have the head coaching title, the interim head coaching title, but he has it. He has a chance to run with it. I believe last night they had 45 games left in the season. Uh, now it's 44 uh, when they lost to the Spurs, and the Spurs handed them those 27-point losses. Uh, I am going somewhere with this. I yeah, promise. that game was competitive for about, I don't know, they the, were first, down, the first eight or ten seconds. No, they were down 49-45 <laughs> in the third, yeah. and then the Spurs went on a 10 nothing run, and good night, Irene. But here's my point. We also talked about there was a lot, a lot going on on Twitter about Coach Cal, and he even tweeted out something. And I know you can't believe everything you read on Twitter, but I took a screen cap of it, and I'm going to read you his tweets and what he said. Uh, you may have heard me say this before. I absolutely have the best coaching job in sports, and I plan on being at Kentucky for a long time. I am not negotiating with anybody, in caps. My total focus is on this team and winning the next game. Now, Coach Fratello brought up a great point. When you're coming into a new situation, Devin, if you're going to rebuild, what do you need to rebuild first and foremost? Draft picks. I mean, you need draft picks. You need options, right? Just draft picks. Draft picks. How many do they have in the the next coming years? They, They have none, they have a swap, and they have none. And then they have a number one pick in 2019. Okay? Uh, What else can you do? You can go free agency. Now they have that $40 million, but they don't have a general manager. Mm-hmm. New- and not only that, that $40 million is shared by about 20 other teams. Well, there you go. They're not the only team right. that long shot is going to have to Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to mention once this discussion came up, too, is that Mikhail Prokhorov said that yesterday as well. You know, we have plenty of cap space and, and this and that, but so does everybody else. Yeah. Like, it, it's, right. like he's, he, was, he seemed to be looking at it. This is going to lead to something else after Chris's question. I'm going to go into something different, but I'll just throw this out there now. He seemed to be looking at it as if here's all these advantages we have without even mentioning that many of these advantages are also enjoyed by other teams. So there's right. that. 
So go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Continue. I didn't mean to no, cut you off. No, it's okay. Continue. Okay. Continue where you're well, going with your. You, well, you reminded me line. of something else, so I'm going to go on a tangent here. And that's I, I thought the the biggest thing Prokhorov said yesterday, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Devin. You were there. I watched it in my office, but he hit the nail on the head in my in my estimation. He said this team. We don't know what we are. We don't have an identity. It's kind of a mishmash. It's kind of like somebody, he didn't say this, I'm saying it, but I'm kind of power, I'm trying to put an analogy in here for how he was describing it. It's like someone found a broken car in the middle of the street and everybody gathered up the pieces and threw it together and tried to start it. That's pretty much what this team is. <laughs> but it, it, what he said, his words were, we have no identity. We have to figure out if we're going to build around a superstar player, if we're going to rebuild completely, if we're going to be a three-point shooting team, if we're going to be a defensive team. We don't know what we are, or we're going to be a combination of everything. But isn't that – I mean, that's what this team definitely needs to build up from, don't you think? I, I, I think that was the most important thing he said. I totally agree, but a lot of that is out of their hands for the exact things you mentioned. They exactly. don't have draft picks. They have cap space that they can't, you know, if Kevin Durant wants to sign with Brooklyn in, in June or July, you know, that's their identity. Like, they don't choose that. They, they're not, and they're not on the, the top list of, you know, his, his uh, suitors, I think. I mean, although, you know, we, who knows what's going to happen in July. Um, but, you know, if you want to build young through the draft, they can't do that. Right. If they want to, you know, sell. If they want to make a big splash in the trade market, they can barely do that because all they can be able to trade is Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young, or maybe Joe's expiring contract. So they're hindered by everything they've done already, and they can't build an identity out of just hoping something else happens. It's not something they're going to be able to build. It's something that they have to kind of fall into. Really quick before I, I give you the Lou for a second, but I just want to follow up on where I started before I went off on that tangent, and that's <laughs> and and that's Cal. You know I do that, Devin. I do that all the time. You've, you're a veteran of the show. You know I'm like Ricochet Rabbit. I go everywhere. Google him, millennials. You'll you'll see what he looks like, and he used to be a cartoon. <laughs> anyway, um, he used to go bing, bing, bing off the wall. Yeah, whatever. Okay, but co- it's another tangent. See, but Coach Cal, we talked about it on the air and off the air last night, and. That's what he'd be facing. Now, the czar did say, you know, this is not something he's just going to come out and flatly say no, uh, no to because he's smarter than that. He'll, he might say that he doesn't want to negotiate on Twitter, but he's going to listen to the Nets. He will. What are your thoughts on Cal leaving a very, very cushy Kentucky job and, and coming back to the uh, pros? Well, I think that the the number that they put out for him, which I think it, I don't think you said was ten years, one hundred and twenty million. I think that's a number that will turn pretty much anybody's head to run the keys to a franchise. Here's here's the thing about Cal, though, is that I, I we don't know. There's always a huge adjustment period from coaches going from the college ranks to the NBA ranks. I mean, look at Billy Donovan this year and Fred Hoiberg. Like, there's an adjustment where you need to. You, you haven't scouted NBA players and their tendencies now. You know, you don't know the offenses you're running against. It's a whole different animal. Not just, like, think about how players, when they go from college to the draft to the NBA, they're playing 36 games and traveling once every couple weeks, and then you go to the NBA, and you've got travel every single day for 82-game season. It's a much different kind of grind. Um, as far as Cal goes, his strength, and, you know, this is something that nobody can deny, is that he is a recruiter, and his players are loyal to him like like dogs to a meat wagon like they pay so much they, they, guys love john cal and there's a lot and of kentucky former uh, f- a lot of his former players which we brought up in the post game around the league now when their contracts run out if he does come to the nets who knows i mean right it, and but but the value of that is still 
up for debate, right? Who knows if, like, you know, say John Wall gets goes in the yeah. market, I think, in 2019, is he going to value going back to Cal as much as he would value, say, maybe a better contract with the Wizards? I don't know the answer to that question. Well, who knows, um, right? We won't know until yeah. it happens. Correct. But, but, the, but the difference is if Brett Yormark has a strong uh, influence on this hire uh, and he believes that Cal can do that, then I think the Nets are probably going to throw any number he, they want. He at, at Cal Perry. I don't know how good he'll be as a coach, but I think that's where his value would lie to the Nets is being able to. Because if you can't get guys in the draft right now, because you just can't for the Nets. Period. If you're going to free agency, if you're going to trades, if you're going to guys who are already in the NBA, there is nobody in the college ranks or even in the potential coaching or executive ranks, other than maybe if an agent switches over. There is nobody that has more ties to more NBA players than John Cal Perry. And I think that's where his value would lie. Lou, the floor is yours. Well, I was going to say, now, now we can pay them and it's not illegal. So that also helps out, too. But, um, <laughs> and they could have extra pasta. The checks can give you now. <laughs> right. No, on that point, though, there is this. And, you know, be, you, you know I'm an Eagles fan. And what you may or may not I'm know so from... Sorry. Yes. What you may or may not know from listening to this podcast and knowing me and being around me is that I absolutely despise... Moves like what Chip Kelly did where the roster for the first year when a guy comes from the college to the pros is half Oregon players because it's, mm-hmm. all right, well, he understands this guy understands the system. He may suck, but at least he understands the system, so he's going to suck slightly less than a guy who doesn't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I hate that. I, I absolutely hate that because it never works and see what happened in Philadelphia and why Pat Shermer coached the last game of the year. Anyway, mm. point being on that, I think it was our, our, our good friend Howard Beck uh, – in writing for Bleacher Report that wrote an article that basically said, no matter what you look at how Billy King, you know, use the word you want, sabotage, destroyed, undermined, setback, whatever verb and or adjective you want to use, and however cantankerous Lionel Hollins was and this and that, that the real issue with where the Nets are now and their situation may actually be Prokhorov because he doesn't quite necessarily understand that you don't just come in, throw your money around, and, and win championships, and that's how the NBA works. So, with that said, I'm going to lean on that side of caution and say this. We often say, and, and, and we off, always think, that you are one of those kind of minds that could be very good in a front office capacity. So I'm going to put you in a front office capacity. Given the state of the Nets, with their, their bereft draft board for the next three years, their contract situation... Everything that's going on around here, how do you sell someone on taking this job, whether it be GM or coach? It's a tough sell. Yeah, it's a very tough sell. I think the first thing you have to sell them on is literally selling them, is then you can buy a house in Cabo with what we end up paying you. I think that's the first and foremost. Like You have to make a guy want to commit to here. And that, you know, in Brooklyn, like you don't really have – well, I guess – let me put it this way. First, it's got to be the money. Second of all, you've got to sell it. I think is a blank slate. I mean, you have the opportunity. There are no expectations in Brooklyn. There were none in November, and there are fewer now. There's like, if you fail for the next three years, you have there. I mean, that's just. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you are you have no draft picks. You are on a bad. Like, you have a bad team without much upside. You know, if you succeed, you are going to be the hero of Brooklyn, who has been desperately looking for a team that they can root for. You know, <laughs> like this has not been exactly. The past few years have not been, you know, the most fun team to watch, let's say, in basketball. Let's put it nicely. Um, if, you, if you have that opportunity, it's all upside for you. 
And so I think that's how I would sell it to somebody who wants to, you know, A, A wants to be an executive, B wants to be a coach, or C wants to be a player. It's like, look, we're going up from here. We, have, we need to do a complete reset. Everything, all of our mistakes are in the past, and we're trying to move forward. That's, I think, the best way you can do it. So there, there was a guy that got sold on that same philosophy about five years ago, and, and this week he'll be leading his Alabama Crimson Tide basketball team into action because he got, because he got all of 28 games. Avery, once, yeah. Once the whipping boy era was done, he got all of 28 games to put it together before Mikhail got impatient and Billy got impatient and... and See you later, Avery Johnson. That's beside there the might point. have also been a point guard who was a little Darren. Yeah, there's there uh, Williams. Might, yeah. yeah, that guy. Yeah, the, <laughs> regardless of him. So now here's the follow up question to that. You know, all the talk about Coach Cal, this or that. You know, you you can say, oh, maybe we can find someone like Phil Jackson, but that might have been a special situation where Phil had loyalty to the Knicks because of his NBA past. Same right. way Lionel Hollins may have had a little bit of loyalty to the Nets based on his NBA past. With all that said, you know, depending on who the GM is that comes in, and obviously the GM is going to want to bring in his coach, and they're going to want to build a, an identity together as opposed to just putting something out there. Not necessarily Calipari, but I know you know Tom Thibodeau will get thrown out there, and, and all these other coaches, and you know, retreads for lack of a better word, will get thrown out there. You see what what Brad Stevens did in Boston, moving from Butler. To the Celtics, is this kind of maybe a situation where, you know, as much as Fred Hoiberg and Billy Donovan have had their issues this year adjusting from big-time college to the NBA, is this more of a situation where maybe that's the right move, where you bring a guy who wants to move from college to the NBA in and let him, for lack of a better word, as you said, fail for a couple years while he not only gets his feet wet, but the team gets its, its collective, you know, mess together and figures out where they go from here? Yeah, I think that's one way to look at it. And I think that, you know, I, I don't think the Nets need somebody with coaching experience. I mean, to be frank, the best coach they've had in Brooklyn was Jason Kidd. And he literally had walked off the New York Knicks roster and got hired by the Nets. So I don't think they necessarily need to have experience. It also, and one thing that I was, what I've been thinking is that, well, for, well first of all, let's, let's, let's also step back and realize that this coach is not going to be hired until July. And we don't know who's going to be fired before July. There's a lot of potential coaches out there who might currently have jobs. Um, but, but as far as your point uh, to, to, to getting a guy from college, um, that is a certain way to look at it. You could look at him as him developing. I also think in that same vein, uh, there's a lot of great NBA assistant coaches out there who have been toiling on the sidelines for, you know, five, ten years, maybe some, some even less, who are looking for a head coaching job and might be really good. There's Kenny Atkinson. There's, I mean, I don't, I don't think Tony Brown is uh, doing much for this job, but there's guys like him all across the league. There's Becky Hammond in, in San Antonio. There's a lot of really interesting minds on NBA benches learning under other NBA coaches who, you know, will probably end up getting in some interviews. Luke Walton could be in that spot, too. I mean, especially yeah, given the way he's the Lakers, are. but yeah, he could be there, too. Devin, Brooke Lopez, you know, I tweeted this out eight coaches in eight years. You retweeted it, and then somebody trolled and said, Why do we always talk about Brooke? Who cares? He's not that good of a player. Who cares if he had eight coaches? <laughs> First of all, that's not fair. Um, I think Brooke is a very solid NBA player. Uh, but how much do you think all the different voices, and I know Baris was only there for two games, and, and I'm counting him as one of the coaches, but this guy has had a lot of different voices in his head in his eight years in the league. How do you think that has affected the way he has grown along here? 
I mean, you know, there's only one really way to look at that, which is that it hasn't really helped. I mean, look, you ha- look at a guy, and, and let me not compare these two in terms of skill, but look at a guy like Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich, where you have the same mentor for 15, 18 years, and that obviously has a certain impact on development because every coach will want something different out of you. You know, if, if one coach wants to put you primarily in post-ups and you're going to work a lot on your post-up game, another guy might want you to do pick-and-rolls all the time. Another guy might want you to protect the rim. Another guy might want you to hedge out hard on pick and rolls. Like you have to kind of fit into all sorts of different systems. And and if you talk to any Nets player from the first few years in Brooklyn, um, they'll tell you, you know, we we had to learn a new system on both ends of the floor every single year. And I'm not saying that that, that would have they would have been a championship team if they'd held on to one coach, but. You know, it's it's difficult because you have to kind of keep adjusting to what different coaches right. that's where and what the, different expectations yeah, ask you. Yeah, that's where the lack of consistency comes into play, and Prokhorov brought that up too. We're not consistent. We t- and we talk about that with Eli Manning all the time, just to throw out to another yeah. sport with Ben McAdoo and, and Gilbride right. and that change. I mean, it's – now imagine that every, every two years as opposed to that once. That might happen you know? if McAdoo doesn't get the job. Right. So Eli's going to have to learn another new system. So you see that, and then you imagine – I mean – we we know how talented offensively Brook is, but he's had six different roles under seven different head coaches. I do believe, and Devin, you could you could argue with me on this. I, I thought he was flourishing under Lionel this year. I, I you know he's still taking twenty foot jump shots, which I hate because they've got you know that I'm not. And this is nothing against Thad, but there's nobody there for an offensive rebound when he's taking twenty foot jump shots. And I think Lionel in one of his last post game press conferences brought that up. I mean, I think, yeah. I think he was flourishing a little bit more, a, a, a lot of double-doubles more than he's had in the past. He's been more aggressive. I think uh, Lionel was challenging him. I, I don't know. What have you seen? I think, I think Brooke was at his best, at least in the last couple of years, under Lionel in the second half of last year. Because that's when they really kind of unlocked the Darren Williams-Brooke Lopez combo. And they're, they're, that pick-and-roll just like worked game, like possession in and possession out. I think Brooke won player of the week twice in those last like six weeks. They'd really figured something out. And Brooke didn't have a real pick-and-roll passer with him this year, and he was still playing very well, to his credit. I mean, I think he's averaging, I think it's 19 points and eight and a half rebounds. I don't know the numbers in front of me, something like that. Um, he's having, I mean, this is a guy who has been, you know, criticized so, so much for his rebounding since he came into the league, just nonstop. And he's averaging a respectable eight and a half ish rebounds per game. He's getting double doubles. Um, I, I, I still think, and this is kind of the, the negative about Brook. He's not a particularly great team defender, but he can stop a guy in one on one pretty well. Um, you know, he's he's always played well. The, the question is now, you know, what what will another coach ask of him? I don't think Tony Brown is going to ask anything different than Lionel did. I think it's pretty much going to be par for the course. But whatever the next coach is going to ask of him, presuming he's still here, which I imagine he is. You know, how is that going to affect the next step of his game? Will this coach be able to design a defense around Brooke Lopez that's successful? Because they've never really had that either. Will this coach be able to train, you know, or have a point guard? Because again, we're talking about talent. Get a point guard that could actually hit him for shots for dunks. You know, this is, these are all these little things that are going to be a big question mark for the Nets and a big question mark for Brooke Lopez because if he doesn't have, it's amazing he's playing as well as he is without somebody feeding him. And if he can get somebody feeding him, how good can he be now? My follow-up question to that, actually, you sort of touched on. You said you think he's going to be here and, and, you know, be a big part of the future. But here's my question. Right now, realistically, the Nets, and this is something else that was advocated in a couple of columns, and I believe Howard also said this one as well, that right now, maybe if the Nets really want to hit the reset button, find an identity, try to build through the draft, the best way to do that is to trade off any assets that can get them picks. 
by that he right. means Brooke Lopez and or Thaddeus Young. So my, my follow-up question to you is, is a threefold question. Number one, <laughs> number one. Right uh, out of back to school. Right out of back to school. Number one, which of those two is more valuable for the future of the Nets? Number two, regardless of that, which of those two is more valuable to send away? And then follow-up question number three is, do you trade one, both, or neither? Okay. A um, little complicated because three-fold question. But, <laughs> so here's how I'd answer that. I think Brooke is a better player by a long shot than Thaddeus Young. I think Thaddeus Young is on a much more appealing contract both to keep and to trade than Brooke Lopez at the talent levels that they're at. So if you're going to make a trade to acquire draft picks, I think it's more likely that they trade Thaddeus because, A, he's easier to fit under someone's cap. He's only making, I think, $12 million. Um, and, B, he has a more friendly contract as the cap continues to spike. By the time, in two years, his contract is going to be, I think, 10% of the cap, which is nothing like for a guy of his caliber. So I think that he's a more likely candidate to get traded. Um, I don't think necessarily that either one will find a new home. I think the Nets like Thaddeus Young a lot, and they know how valuable a player like him can be if they can surround him with the right pieces. You know, you know how you mentioned earlier, next man up? The problem is that the Nets are all two to three steps ahead of where they should be. So like, like if the Nets had two great players that were injured – Brooke is then the next man up. He's the third best guy that you want. But right now he's number one, and Thaddeus is number two when they should be three and four. And they're valuable in those spots. So I think that I don't see them trading off either one, at least before this trade deadline, because I think they want to see what they can have after free agency. If things continue to spiral there and they get a new GM who has a very specific vision that does not include them, I think you'll, you'll start to see a lot more, I'd say, trade talk, probably with Thaddeus first. But Brooke will be on the table, too. I have to ask you this for Nets fans, Devin. I asked this of Coach Rotella last night, and I know a lot of uh, Net fan followers do listen to the podcast. And, uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up with you uh, because they want to hear the truth, and sometimes they don't get the truth. And um, basically what the owner said yesterday was that they're one or two players away from being a championship caliber team. And right after he said that, and you know, I was just tweeting facts. I was listening to the press conference and I could type fast. So I, <laughs> I was tweeting out what he was saying live. And that one drew the most ire from my normal Nets uh, fans followers. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't, all I do is report the facts. Now in my head, can I speculate as a studio host? No. On this podcast, can I give my opinion? Yes. They're not one to two players away. They're one to two starters away. <laughs> and uh, refurbishing the bench, if you will, from being a championship caliber team. And I asked Coach that last night, point blank, on the post game, And he said, yeah, if he gets Steph Curry and LeBron James, they're cha- championship caliber. What say you? <laughs> Uh, I, I would never be one to disagree with the star of the telestrator. I think he'd be <laughs> spot on. If you gave, if you gave him two guys from Space Jam, you might have <laughs> But I, 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 I mean, look, like, and this is what I was saying earlier, is that if they had a real number one and a real number two who could be a 1A, like if they had Stephen Anthony Davis, yeah, of course they're a championship contender. Yeah. But, that, but getting two players or getting one or two players doesn't mean you're going to get two of the top five players in the NBA. Like, that's just not how it works. Um, I, think, I think the most re- the re- the realistic thing, I think, there, if he's really thinking about that, is that somehow he's going to find a way to get both 
Durant and Mike Conley in the offseason. And that could maybe make you into a real contender in the Eastern Conference. I don't think that they're going to do that by any stretch of the imagination. But that's all. The, that's the only logical thing I can think he meant by that. That's well, the only logical thing. Yeah, if Durant and Conley come yeah. here, they're immediately yeah, it's, playoff it's, contenders. It's not again. Shane Larkin oh, and Thomas sure. Robinson. That's right. that's for right. sure. Right. And we're. Well, you saw that Donald Sloan dunk from a couple of days ago, right? Oh God, the crossover! Absolutely. Yeah. Where did that come from? I have no idea. We were all, that got me out of my seat here at work. Hey, you know what? Let me say let me say this one thing, and this will be my last chime in on the subject. Mikhail Prokhorov said this is a time to evaluate what we have as well. Yesterday in the press conference, Donald Sloan, for lack of a better word, in the NBA is a, is a nobody at this point, right? He's just kind of a journeyman, been yeah. around, backup. Mm-hmm. This is. As much as the Nets may not have much to evaluate because they have no draft picks and everybody has cap room and this and that, this is his time. It's, sad, it's, it's a shame that RHJ is hurt. It's a shame that Chris McCullough is hurt because then this would be a good time to see what, you know, give them extended run. But for him, he may be the, the biggest beneficiary of all this in that, like, you know what, Jack's out. Markel Brown, you know what he is. You kind of know what Shane Larkin is at this point. Maybe he's the biggest beneficiary of this and – whether it's a piece of the Nets' future or he turns himself into the next Jeremy Lin, who knows? Well, Mark, well, I, I, I've Go actually ahead, had a Devin. chance to talk to a couple of people around the league just when they come into the come to Barclays Center. And I'll, I'll walk around, I'll chat, and you know, when they ask me about the Nets, when Donald Sloan's name comes, they're like, "Oh yeah, I like him." You know, I, I saw him play in Indiana. He's got some real talent. You know, one guy, one one guy who I talked to compared him not in skill but in style uh, to Kyle Lowry. Because they're both kind of bulldog, get in the lane, surprise a little bit with quickness. Now, of course, Lowry is 10 times the player Sloan is, and I think everyone agrees there. But just in terms of the style of play, you know, they have a point guard who attacks the basket and tries to create contact. I mean, that's not something the Nets have had very much of in their tenure. So I think, you know, he's, he's somebody that's going to get a real shot because he's shown he can do it in the NBA level before. And he's, I mean, look, compared to everybody else in this team, he's not doing so bad. It's very true. One more observation before we let you go. Boban Marjanovic is big. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. God. I, I can't. Like, Brooke looked so, like, Brooke I, looked tiny compared to him. <laughs> yeah, we, we went up to Brooke after the game and we're like, have you ever played anybody like that? He's like, no, like, no. <laughs> Can you imagine being, here's the thing. Imagine that you're Brooke Lopez for a second. Imagine that you live life as a seven foot two gargantuan guy. Everyone you hang out with, you know, if you're on the basketball team, everyone's shorter than you. Everyone in your personal life shorter than you. And then you match up with Boban Marjanovic, Lord of the Flies, <laughs> 8'11", foot 11 foot 17, with hands the size of Brooklyn. Like, what, what must go through your mind? Because I look at guys, when, when, when I'm, like, walking around in the street, I see a guy who's, like, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, it's a little bit surprising to me. Like, not in the locker room because they're all taller, but, like, when I just see a regular guy who's, like, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, I kind of look at him like, oh, yeah, that's weird. There's, now imagine that you're literally the probably 12th tallest person on the planet, and you see number four. Like what? what <laughs> it's, like, it's like Andre. The, it's like Andre the Giant staring down Paul Bunyan. Yeah, yeah. pretty and you know much. Something? Boban can play a little bit. No, he can. He's not just a freak. No, he can play. But his ears are as big as my head. <laughs> and imagine if he was on the on the same team with one or both of the Bogdanoviches. Oh my God! I'd no. love I'd love to I'd love to see you do that great. highlight, especially if they're playing any. Any or both of the Antetokounmpo brothers. That that would be a that'd be a great hockey line. Antetokounmpo, Marjanovic, uh, like the ultimate Iron Eagle lineup to call. Oh my and god! 
As those two are definitely on it. Yes, and then hopefully Czar is the analyst, so he has to sit there and pronounce them too. He was having fun with Marjanovic <laughs> last night, that's for sure. <laughs> Devin, we yeah. appreciate the time, brother. Always great stuff out of you. And you could, don't forget, go to Devin's uh, website, Brooklyn Game. The, is it, it's BrooklynGame.com. What am I saying? The, the Brooklyn Game. The Brooklyn uh, great stuff, Eddie, as always. We appreciate it, uh, buddy. And we will talk to you uh, more <laughs> for sure down the line. We appreciate it, man. You know it, guys. Take care. All Thanks, right. Dev. There he goes. Devin Carpertian, a great friend of the show, and we're so happy that he could join us. You know, that, that, it, I, I want to say it surprised me on Sunday, but it didn't. Very much. I, I, was, mean, I was driving home from a weekend away, and, and, just happened to glance at Twitter while I was just getting gas. And I was watching NFL football. Uh, my ESPN alert went off on my phone. I looked it at it and I said, oh, expletive. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. And it's weird that they did it. I mean, I know they did it right after the Detroit game and they, they were coming home on Monday in San Antonio. And Monday might not have been the day to do it. And they didn't want to wait till Tuesday and whatever. To do that on a Sunday morning after a road trip, it, that's just... Didn't, didn't stop Cindy Westfall from tweeting out last night during the game. Yeah, it's just, it's, we've talked all, all year about how much of a mess this is becoming, and, and like, it may, needed to be done. maybe this is just now the, like, I hate to make an arson reference, but this is just the match that finally burns it to the ground and we start over. And that's it. Like, yeah, this, this was the fire extinguisher to the dumpster fire that you're always talking right. about. But now, you know, this has to be a process, uh, you know. Favorite, gonna, favorite word of, of NBA players. It's a Mike, process. Mike, Mike Tannenbaum original? Process. Yeah, it's, it's a process. process. It's a process. Well, they have to choose wisely here. Yep. They have to pick their GM wisely. They have to pick their head coach. You know, R.C. Buford and uh, Greg Popovich were brought up. I mean, it was the great juxtaposition of two teams that are polar opposite. Like, the Nets are the South Pole and the Spurs are the North Pole. Yeah, basically. They are magnets that do not attract. It's like the Cardinals and the Marlins in baseball. Mikhail, yeah. Mikhail Prokhorov sat there in that press conference, and everything he described is what the Spurs already are. Yeah. And what they have been. And we, you know, I looked this up before, but last night I looked it up again. Pop took over for Bob Hill back in the 96, 97 mm-hmm. season. Just before I, I they got Duncan. Yeah, right before they got Duncan. And I think they had 20 wins when he took over. And, and I think Pop won 17, if I remember correctly, during, after he took over. Since then, besides 1999 and the lockout shortened season, where they won their first NBA title. Mm-hmm. And, 90, and the, the year that Robinson got hurt that allowed him to get Duncan. Right. Their worst record? Besides the thirty-seven and thirteen in nineteen ninety-nine, was fifty and thirty-two. They have not won less than fifty games in Pop's tenure as the head coach for a full season. So, if you count, even if you count the thirty-seven and thirteen, because that's basically almost a seven fifty winning percentage. Yeah. thirty-nine and thirteen would be seven fifty. You'd have to think they were going to win. You're, 50 you're that looking year. at a team that's won at least sixty. Ish. 61%. I, I don't know what 50 and 32 break. 50 and 30 is 5 eighths, so that's 60, 67.5. But that's a team that's won 65% of their games or more every, every year. year. In a conference, no, no less, that's loaded. They may not win the NBA championship every year, but that conference for the last 10 to 15 years has been loaded with good teams. That guy, where 50 win teams don't make the playoffs. His system, it works. Now, as Coach Fratello said last night, Hey, look, not everybody has Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu yep. Ginobili to you know, plug in the guys around them. Right. 
But even as they fade in years, the system yeah. still works. They draft Everybody Kawhi buys in. The yeah. ball movement is unbelievable. Coach brought up the, the best point last night. Ball movement, body movement. That's the Spurs offense. And just when you think it's the last pass on an open shot, there's someone else even more open, and mm-hmm. they hit them. It's it's a thing of beauty to watch and, that team and the Warriors and play building basketball. through the draft too. They do a lot of it because the Spurs yeah. do not sign a lot of huge free agents, like Lamarcus Aldridge being a bit of an exception because he's now going to be Tim Duncan when Tim Duncan retires. But look at Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard had a pretty decent year at San Diego State the year he was drafted and put himself into the like mid lottery projection, and is now turned into a guy who looks like a multi time All Star and possible like long term. And he doesn't have an All Star. This guy's yet. a face of the NBA type player. He's an NBA Finals MVP. He's a he's the reigning Defensive Player of the Year, and he hasn't been to an All Star <laughs> game yet. yet. And and then that and he was because... and he was drafted what fifteenth, yeah, something like that because they had they had a higher pick, yeah. I mean, they do things like that. The last thing I'm going to say about it is this, because we've reached our magic half hour, and we can talk a little more <laughs> okay. about about our reasoning for this yeah. as we wrap up. But I find it interesting to, that in looking back at everything, it's kind of one of those weird synergy moments. In looking back at everything in the draft where the Knits gave up their first-round pick to get Gerald Wallace. And that turned into who? Damian Lillard. Exactly. That. Billy King thought there were three surefire locks to be great NBA players in that draft. Anthony Davis, think we know how that's going. Who is going to go yep. number one. Yep. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who went number two and mm-hmm. is not a – doesn't do one thing well but does everything pretty good and is a statue. He's Andre Godala. And a Calipari yep. and a Calipari. disciple. Yeah. And the third one player. was Thomas Robinson. So, with wow. that said, it's very synergetic in a way – that Billy King's not counting Brook and Thad because that's a re-signing. Mm-hmm. Billy King's last big free agent acquisition was Thomas Robinson, who we got on the cheap because he hasn't done anything and he's still not. Also, kind of sums it up in one shot, don't it? We, we should bring up too. I mean, Fratello did say this too, and he was right. We don't know if the whole Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett thing was King's call, if that was ownership's call. Billy's never thrown anybody under the bus. He's been a good soldier for Prokhorov. He's a good friend, as you heard in the press conference. Mm-hmm. We don't know if he was pressured into making any of those moves. I'm not saying he was. He, he might have done it on his own, but we don't know. So, and the Nets, take, it, if you, take this any way you want it. The last three years, they've made the playoffs. They beat the Raptors two years ago. They advanced to play the Heat. They that took was the their, Hawks to six. That, and they took the Hawks to six last year. And that series against the Heat, which they lost 4-1, that was their best shot at winning an NBA title because they had the Heat. They had beaten them every time they played that year. Yeah, they were 4-0. Yeah. And in two of those games that they lost, they were up in the fourth quarter with at least six minutes to go. They were up. That series could have been entirely different. Yep. Different, excuse me. And that was their shot. And you know what? They could have won it. And then they sold their soul for a championship. But he would have had a championship under his belt. I don't know. I don't want to completely. The thing about it is, is that. Crap on Billy King. Is that King Billy King might point. have been the perfect soldier for Mikhail Prokhorov because what Billy ended up doing in Brooklyn in terms of his legacy, and you look at the scorched earth he's left behind is pretty much what got him fired in Philadelphia. Yeah. Only this time it was Darren Williams instead of Allen Iverson. Yeah. Allen Iverson was his was his his white whale 
so to speak, in Philly. And he, you know, he ended up getting dismissed. He gets brought in. Darren Williams becomes his white whale once he brings him in. I don't, I don't think anybody expects Billy to get a third shot and those, with the franchise. Those but two that's a teams, shame. Those two teams right now combined two have, worst teams in the NBA. Have other thirteen than the wins, right? They have thirteen. Fourteen. Wins. The Sixers Sorry, have four now. Fourteen, and the Lakers have what eight? Eight. Yeah, I think I did it this morning when I was writing my case stuff. If you took the Sixers. Lakers, Pelicans, and Nets, and added them up, they're still three wins shy of the Warriors' 36. Mm-hmm. So there you go. We'll end on a positive. And to fully end on a positive, as we said, we're a little longer than the, the half hour we're shooting for, but with, with so much stuff going on in the world of sports, especially during Yankee season, Chris and I decided that instead of giving you a magic hour once a week, we'll give you a magic half hour, 40 minutes twice a week, so that way, you know, if we had waited till Thursday to talk about this, maybe we're a little well behind the eight ball. Yeah. Whereas Tuesday gives us a little fresher perspective. And, and we would have done this yesterday, but I was busy all day. So yeah. I apologize. But you're getting, you're getting yeah. fresh content twice a week yeah. now. And we'll be back on Thursday or Friday this week, depending on our schedules. Right. Maybe Friday because we'll, we'll talk, give a couple days. We'll talk Yankees. We'll talk Giants head coaching yeah. search. We'll Hopefully talk, something will happen between now we'll and We'll talk wildcard – or not wildcard, divisional weekend. Yeah. Wild card weekend was nothing to write home about. No, it wasn't. One game was a blowout literally from the opening kickoff, and all two four, were terrible for three quarters. All four away teams won. Yeah. First time ever, yeah. In that, all, in that, that era, in the divisional wildcard era, all four lower seeds advanced, and only one game was like worth watching for more than fifteen minutes. I gotta Cincinnati, be honest. Pittsburgh. No, you didn't like that the one. La- it was it was there wasn't it was a boring game for the first forty five well, minutes. Last, yeah, the fourth the last quarter, the was... fourth quarter of the Cincinnati Steelers game and the Seahawks Vikings game were great. The first three quarters were. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. The Chiefs-Texans game was over 15 seconds in when they took the opening kickoff to the house. And then Redskins-Packers was actually decent. The last Chiefs win before that one, you know what it was against? Houston. Yeah. It was against the Oilers. You know where Niall Davis grew up? Houston. Yeah. How about that? I had. Exercise the demons. demons. This podcast. They showed on SportsCenter like the last time they lost. Toronto was uh, the Royals were up 2-0 on Toronto in the ALCS. The Warriors hadn't started their season yet. Like it was just, they, the, I mean, their last loss was in mid October. Wow, mid to late October. So, well, who do they have? Uh, not Denver. They have um, New England. Oh, the, Chief, the Chiefs. Yeah, Chiefs are in New England, correct? Yes, the yeah. Steelers are going to Denver. And Denver has the Steelers mm-hmm. because they have they get the lowest. And Seattle Denver. Seattle gets their second straight 10 a.m. Seattle time game. Panthers. Yep. That should be a good one. Mm-hmm. The dominant team this year trying to dethrone the two-time NFC champions. But that is for our next podcast. For Lou DiPietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll see you next time.